that I want us to turn in our Bibles and continue our study in the book. Now, Nehemiah, we looked at Ezra, we've looked at Zechariah 2, an amazing chapter that describes the, uh, the, the New Jerusalem and what it would mean for Jesus to be a wall of fire and the glory within this city. I want, you to tell, I want to tell you a story first before we get into Nehemiah. When I was a little boy, my dad, well, he, he always had us, we, we were always working on summer projects. My dad was an English teacher. Uh, some summers he worked, some he didn't for summer school. Those when he didn't, wow, did we have tasks to do. One summer, I remember, we built a French drain all the way around the yard. Because our yard was situated where the house behind us was on a hill, not a high hill, but it drained, every time it rained, it drained down into our yard. In our yard, much, much of our backyard would get flooded when it rained. So my dad wanted us to build a French drain. Now, if you're not familiar with what a French drain is, it is about, for us, it was about a foot wide and a foot deep, filled with large rocks, then smaller rocks on top of that, and then smaller rocks. And eventually it would be filled up one foot deep. There would be clay, there's such a thing called clay up north, but there, the clay would act as the base and the water would flow into that and flow outside uh, of the, the yard through a drain to the street. My dad had a plan and it wasn't just to get a job done, though he needed that. There were other things that he wanted to see. And we're going to see some of those things in the story today in Nehemiah. I'm going to come back to that story about us building that French drain in just a few minutes. But I want us right now to think about our story now in front of us. So turn to Nehemiah chapter 1, if you would. And I want to read, it's just two verses. It's Nehemiah, the very end of verse 2, chapter 1, verse 2, and verse 3. It says this. It says, um, Han and I came to him and he, his brother, and he says, I questioned them because they came from Jerusalem to Nehemiah in Babylon, okay, in, in the, the country of Babylon. And he says, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant. Now, it had been about 80 years, 90 years, since the Jews had come back to Jerusalem, but something had happened in that time. Now, they had already built the temple, but now this is what happened. He says, I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. Here's what verse three says. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province um, are in great trouble and disgrace. I want you to remember that word disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. Now, a vision begins to envelop and, and develop in Nehemiah's mind, and he begins to see himself as perhaps the one God would send back to Jerusalem to rebuild the wall and rebuild these gates. Much of the wall had been torn down, the gates had been burned, and the city lies in disgrace. So what does he do? I want you to turn over now to chapter 2, and we're just going to follow when he arrives in Jerusalem, what he does. Are you there? Chapter 2, starting with verse 11. I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few men. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. 
There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night, I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate. There was a gate actually called the dung gate, okay? Examining the walls. Now, I'm not going to read any more about that. And basically what he does is at night, there's no officials with them, just a few men. And he begins, to, he goes out on the northwest portion of the wall of Jerusalem. Now, this wall, uh, it, it's not the exact wall that was during the time of Jesus. It's actually much smaller. And this wall, if you were to look at a map, then one side of the wall would be on the Kidron Valley and the other would be on the Tepo, uh, Taropoean Valley, which was right next to it. And present-day Jerusalem goes even much further west. Well, he's going out and overlooking the Taropoean Valley, and he is walking now from the northwest counterclockwise. When he comes to the Kidron Valley, which is a steeper, uh, uh, steeper side on Mount Zion, um, apparently that wall did not have too much destruction. It would be harder to pull that wall down as opposed to the other sides. And he turns around and he comes back. And he's examining this wall and he assesses it. Now I'm going to tell you this, that a good leader will always come to a problem and he will always assess it first. He does this without the officials because he wants to develop a plan um, from his assessment and share it with the officials. And so this is what he does. And I want us to pick up the story now in verse 17. The officials come to him, um, nobles, priests, officials, noble, uh, and so on. And, and they begin to ask him, you know, what are you doing? And he says, it says, then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. So obviously Nehemiah assessed it. He had actually been commissioned by God. God opened the door. So the people recognized, this is our man. God's hand is upon him. And he's now going to lead us. But Nehemiah didn't look at it and say, you know what? I got this, guys. Let me take care of it. He knew it was way too big. And he knew that he needed the people of Jerusalem and actually beyond Jerusalem, other cities, to help rebuild this wall. He had a plan. That plan is kind of laid out for us in the following chapters, chapters three and following. And they rebuild the wall. They rebuild it in 52 days, actually set the gates in. All done within 52 days, not even two months. And I just want to encourage us that God calls a leader to lead, to lead the way, to pull people together. And it is his responsibility to bring the people together to accomplish this task. This task, of course, was the rebuilding of the wall of Jerusalem. The third thing, and this is what I want our, our focus to be on, he rallies the people to a good work. That's what he calls it. This is a good work. This good work will help erase the disgrace that's over Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the hub of Israel. It was the capital 
People came there to the temple for feasts. Men were required to do this three times a year. People would come. It was the life. It was it was where God dwelt in the temple. People worshipped him there. It was the political headquarters. This is where the, 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 the king ruled with the help of God all of Jerusalem. And it was now laid open to all the enemies to attack it and destroy it. And God was slaying on Nehemiah's heart no more. By God's grace... This disgrace would need to be removed. You know what? I want us to look at the next chapter here. In chapter three. Yeah, okay, hang hang on one second. Let me before we get to chapter three. When when my dad gave us these projects during the summer, he had a goal in mind. Number one, he wanted us to have a good work ethic. Uh, I get that now. Um, he built that work ethic into us, uh, purely by accident on my part, but purely intentional on his. And he, But he also did other things. You see, my brothers and I, we were constantly in fights. And here's what I noticed, that when we worked on this project, we became good friends. It was amazing how, instead of viewing each other as enemies... We now viewed each other as comrades, literally in the trenches. We had to build this trench together. I couldn't do it by myself. My dad couldn't do it by himself. himself. We all had to work together to make this happen. And as we worked together, we stopped fighting against each other. You know, when we work together, there is this principle that begins to displace the disgrace. The disgrace right now in our present kingdom, the, the kingdom of God in the church of Jesus Christ, the disgrace there is that we fail to love as Jesus loved. When people look on at the church, the question we need to ask is, do they see Jesus? Now remember, according to Zechariah 2, Jesus is to be the glory in the kingdom. He is to be the glory in our kingdom. He's to be the glory in the church. And the problem is when the people look on, when the world looks on, what do they see? They see a disgraced church many times because we have failed to truly love one another. What's really going to draw people into this kingdom? Now remember this, the walls protect Israel, but it's the gates. Remember Revelation 21, the gates are always open and there's only one way movement. It's always in. And those gates need to be established, need to be firmly set in. Those gates welcome the nations in. God wants us as his people to be welcoming the lost and the hurting and those who are wounded so that they can be healed by what? He's going to be healing them by his grace through us. And I'm going to get to that in just a moment. But it is Jesus that they need to see. And it is his glory. It is his radiance. It, it, you know, love cannot be seen in my heart unless I am doing something. The sun cannot be seen apart from its rays. Jesus is that radiance of God's glory in the church working through us. People need to see Jesus in us 
Jesus said this to his disciples in Matthew 5. He said that you are the light of the world and that we need to be a city set on a hill so that men would see our good works, the light, and glorify our Father which is in heaven. Jesus wants to shine through us. He doesn't want us to view one another like my brothers and I did regularly. He doesn't want us to view each other as enemies. He wants us to view each other as the means by which Jesus' glory radiates in the church. You're the apple of his eye. You, he is not only our treasure, but get a load of this. We are his treasure. He treasures us. He loves us, and he wants to love through us. Now, I'm going to tell you this right now. There are enemies in the story we're going to get to in a moment, but Jesus needs us to remove the disgrace in his kingdom by laboring together, by seeing the value of one another, not working against each other, working with one another. Here's a question I want to ask you. Is Jesus shining through you? Is Jesus radiating his love through you? And I've got to ask myself that question regularly. Is Jesus shining through me? I want us to look at something, and we're only going to look at it briefly. An entire sermon could be devoted to this. I'm not going to do that. Uh, the disgrace, of course, were the walls burned, walls torn down, the gates that were burned. And I'm going to tell you this, the disgrace was hard to get rid of. It was not easy. Now, forgive me this illustration. Some of you might be a little bit gross, but the slugs in the north are different than the slugs in the south. I don't know if you're aware of that. The slugs in the north are round and they leave the trails. And uh, But down here, they're flatter. And I've noticed something that, that a little bit different. And that is when you pick up these slugs, they get a slime on you. And you cannot wash that slime off with soap and water. It takes a lot of effort. It takes something beyond what you would normally consider. You've, you've got to scrape it, yes, but you have to use something like turpentine to get it off. It is hard. You don't want that slime, that slug slime on you. The slug slime is when we bite and devour one another. When we're constantly angry with one another. And Jesus' light doesn't shine through us. Jesus wants to, by his grace, empower us to love one another. And in only by his power, the power of his spirit, the glory of God in the church, be able to remove this disgrace. Now, now my point is not really the disgrace here. It is really the grace. It is really what shines. And that's what I want us to focus on. How do we do that? How do we let the grace of God and this power and this glory of Jesus shine in the church? Just real quickly here, follow me in Nehemiah chapter 3. Are you there with me, verse 8? This is what it says. Uziel, son of Hareah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired the next section. And Hananiah, one of the perfume makers, made repairs next to that. Oh, it gets exciting. Listen to this. They restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Rephaiah, son of Hur, ruler of the half-district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section. Are you on the edge of your seat yet? It continues on in verse 10. Adjoining this, Judea, son of Harumath, 
made repairs opposite his house and Hattish, son of Hashabnita, something like that, made repairs next to him. Malkijah, son of Harim and Hashab, well, these are hard to pronounce, son of Pahath, uh, Moab, repaired another section in the Tower of Ovens. Not sure what that might be, uh, archaeologically. Shalom, son of Halasheth, ruler of the half-district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section with the help of his daughters. The Valley Gate, verse 13, was repaired by Hanan and the residents of Zenoah. They rebuilt it and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. They also repaired 500 yards of the wall so far as the Dung Gate. Now, that may not have been an exciting story for you, but listen to some of these principles. Let, 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 Nehemiah is trying to remove the disgrace by rebuilding this wall. What, what does he do? Number one, the first thing we see is he uses people from different walks of life. He, he, he pulls goldsmiths, perfume makers. These guys are not expert wall makers, wall builders. And yet he chooses them because he needs laborers and he needs people to, if you will, buy into this. He needs their commitment. The residents, they're not going to hire subcontractors. They need to do it themselves. And they come from all walks of life. People, we are not going to have experts build this wall around Jerusalem. We need each other, one another. You don't have to be an expert. Goldsmiths. How can goldsmith build a wall? But I tell you what he can do. He's used to working with metal and he's going to be able to build an amazing doorknob, latch, lock for that gate. The hinges. Yeah, they didn't come from Walmart. They had to build them, make them. And I bet you that goldsmith knew how to do it. The perfume maker, he probably had no clue how to build this wall. But you know what? They came from all different walks of life. So very different from one another. Different backgrounds in one project, working together, not as enemies, but as co-laborers, building this city. For us, building God's kingdom. <clears throat> we come from all walks of life. There are no experts. We don't, experts, the, the people like myself, we just try and help you. And you are the builders. Together, we build. And sometimes that building it is in the form of just doing something so menial. Look at the next point here that I want to share with you. They even had leaders, officials, rulers of half the district of Jerusalem. So maybe one step under the governor. Those are the people that came in and put their hands to labor, mixing the mortar and putting, cutting and chiseling and shaping the stones, putting them in place, getting their hands dirty. Nothing was too low or too menial or too humble for these leaders to do. Now, not all the leaders did that. We read it earlier in the chapter in, in verse, let me just get the verse for you here in, in verse 5. That some of the leaders of Tekoa, they didn't want to do it. It was below them. That's not a kingdom mindset. We labor together. When Jimmy Carter, regardless of your opinion of, of his politics, Jimmy Carter, several years after he uh, stepped down from being president in 1980, he was asked by Habitat for Humanity to help them. Now, you might think that Jimmy Carter would become the face of Habitat for Humanity. He would be the one doing the commercials. He would be the one who was just the poster child for this, and that's all. But Jimmy Carter 
Uh, he may have been in some commercials, but Jimmy Carter went to the place on site. Habitat for Humanity builds homes for those who don't have enough, the underprivileged, the poor, and they build them. They ask the people who are going to be coming into that home, the poor, the underprivileged, to be able to put in between 250 and 500 hours of work to be able to make this happen. But millions of people around the world come in, not on this one house, of course, but they come in and they labor. Many people come together for no money to be able to help build this one house for this one owner. And Jimmy Carter helped do that. He would put in hours upon hours upon hours with the saws, with the wood, with the hammer and the nails. That's the type of labor that he did. The type of labor that we do can be menial. It can be just simply loving and listening and hurting with and helping and just sharing one simple truth from the word of God to someone that's hurting. Or it may mean that we are helping them rebuild something. The truth is that it doesn't matter what walk of life, leader or not, we labor together. Another thing is they came from other cities. People from other cities came to labor. And I'm going to tell you this, that the kingdom of God is not just about America. The kingdom of God is about God's kingdom extending throughout the earth. Many nations, remember Zechariah said, will be drawn to Jesus, who will be the glory in the city of Jerusalem, the wall of fire around it. These nations will rally to Jesus. They're going to rally to America. They're not going to rally to us. They're going to rally to Jesus. Jesus is the one lifted high. Jesus was the one who was crucified and risen from the dead. Jesus Jesus is the glory. People are drawn to them. Many nations rallying to Jesus, the focal point of this kingdom. He's the king sitting on the throne, ruling and reigning. It is his glory shining through us, shining through the many nations in this city. People from all different nations joining in residence, working, interestingly enough, generally on the wall before them. You know why they would do this? Think about it. They put their hand to working on these walls. This is what Nehemiah instructed them to do in the wall and directly in front of their house, their residence. Why would they do this? Because they have a vested interest in that particular section of the wall. When the enemy comes to attack, where are they going to attack? Are they going to attack the strongest portion of the wall or are they going to attack probably the weakest section? What a motivation. If I'm going to keep the enemy out, you know what? I'm going to make sure that my section is beefed up, that I put a lot of hard labor into it. I'm laboring to the end of protecting this vested interest in his kingdom. But ultimately, it is Jesus's kingdom. And that vested interest may be your family. For many of us, that's where we start. It might be in, begin to expand to our neighbors, to those in our ch local church, but beyond that, to other churches, building his kingdom with a vested interest, interest to see God's grace remove this disgrace and let Jesus's glory shine through. He wants to use you. Right where you're at, with that wall directly in front of you, the people immediately around you. But you know what? We will never be able to do that. If every time... We are laboring, we're constantly yelling at each other, constantly ridiculing, constantly fighting. Unfortunately, the Galatians fell into this and Jesus, Paul told them, he said, look, if you keep biting and devouring each other, 
you will destroy each other. Anger does that. Anger looks at one another as the enemy. Anger causes us to fight back. But love, see, love covers a multitude of sins. When I'm offended, I don't need to fight you back. It's, it's, it's my reputation. I will defend Jesus's honor and Jesus's glory. I will labor with my brothers and sisters. And if they offend me, there are places in scripture like 1 Corinthians 6 in which Paul just says, you know what? If you're offended, just take it in the chin. If you're offended, move forward. Stop going to court against one another. Stop fighting against one another. The world looks on and they're shocked. Let's remove that disgrace. Love one another. And then one last thing it says here at the very end of verse 12. It says that a gentleman, Shalom, repaired the next section with the help of his daughters. His daughters. Women rolled up their sleeves and they got dirty. They pitched in. They helped build this wall. Not the common thing that women would do in their day, but they did it because everybody is involved. Men and women, children, we are all involved in building this kingdom of God. You know, I, I just want you to know I'm so proud of how Powerline has really sought to love one another. Just a few quick examples. If I can be quick with these examples, I'll try. But several months ago, I lost a very dear brother of mine. And Sarah became a widow. And as a church, I have just been so impressed and so amazed at how, as a church, we have labored to help her. We've got Tim Miller and his crew cutting her lawn every time it needs to get cut. We have people going over there and watching the children for her to give her a break doing work, doing dishes, cleaning, whatever we can, helping out financially. And God has been meeting her needs and the needs of her boys and girls. And yes, there is so much more that we can do and that we are doing. But you know what? We do not fight one another. We love one another. And Sarah, we love you. Boys, we love you. And we are laboring in God's kingdom for your sake. Because of that, Jesus loving you through us and the little we can do. Several weeks ago, Kate was on a little walk with other Saren boys and, you know, a lot, to, a lot of little ones to look after. And she, on this path, she stepped on some mud, slipped down a hill, and she broke her wrist. They had to do surgery and put a plate in and immobilize her arm. And I'm not sure, I think it's like three months. She just needs help lifting things. She can use only one hand. And I've just been so amazed at how people go over to her house like every day and help watch the kids. Zach, you are a trooper, brother. You have gone the extra mile or two and you are laboring and you are burning the candle at both ends. And you're laboring hard at what you do. You've got a lot of uh, deployments, uh, bursts, I guess they call them, and what you're doing on the computer with uh, the job you work at. With the, and, and But you're laboring and you're serving and it's hard. And I want you to know, Zach, we are right there with you. 
And we want to be in the trenches with you. And I've just been so impressed with how many people are helping out to try and serve Kate and to serve Zach and the boys. Uh, Mary Smith recently and Saxon and May had to leave their home because they discovered that there was mold growing in the AC vents. And in order to repair this, they had to move everything out of the house. And it's been a couple weeks now. And they're trying to repair and they realize that they may not even be able to do this. Mary said about eight to ten people came over and helped with this move. Not one or two, not just Saxon and May and Mary, eight to ten people laboring together to, if you will, build this wall. To remove shame, disgrace, and see Jesus' love shining through his people. You know, there are a lot of different ways in which we're going to be reaching out to the community or communities around us. Leadership getting together, pulling ideas from the church and coming up with an action plan to be able to minister to a lot of hurting people. We're kind of in stand down right now because of COVID and it's difficult, but that's where we're going to want to go. And we're going to be having people come in who are so hurt and so in need of Jesus's love. And they need to be treated not as strange, weird. Many of them will be unbelievers. They need to see and hear the love of Jesus. And so what I'd like to do is I want to, I want you to just step back just a little bit. It says here in chapter 2, verse 20, I want you to, to see what happens here. In verse 19, excuse me. But when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Gershom the Arab heard about it, that is the building of the wall, they mocked and ridiculed us. See, they were the real enemies. Not those laboring together who maybe didn't do it quite right and were getting angry at each other. Nope. It was those who wanted to destroy the city and leave it in ruins and leave the disgrace there. What is this you're doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? False accusations. And you're going to get this in the kingdom of God. The world looking on false accusations, finger pointing. What is this? What are you doing? Jesus? Jesus the only way? Surely he's not the only way. What about these other religions? And I'm going to tell you this. No other religion can heal the wounded heart and the broken heart like Jesus can. Nobody. Jesus and Jesus only, the glory of Jerusalem, the glory of his kingdom, only he is the way, the truth, and the life because no man comes to the Father but by him. There are people today who are against Jesus and the building of his kingdom. Those are the enemies of God. But those are the ones in which I'm going to suggest that the gates, when they're repaired, are open to, to see their hearts changed. That's what building the kingdom is about. That's what we are here for. Church, step back. Look, what is God doing? It says here in verse 20, he says, I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. Jesus is on the side of the church, not because we're building our own kingdom and our own little portion of the kingdom, because we are building his kingdom with him as the king. As you step back and you assess, where am I building God's kingdom? Look at your family. 
assess the condition of your family. Are you building? Or are you fighting one another? Let's look around in the church. Are we building one another up? Is our goal to just simply find problems? Or is our goal to meet those problems and meet those needs? Let's be like Nehemiah. Let's, let's assess. Let's find out how we can meet those needs. When we give ourselves to this, just like in my family growing up, when we labored digging those trenches, we stopped fighting. We had one goal in mind. We're building. We're digging. We're accomplishing this goal. The building of the kingdom of God here on this earth. Because God's promise is this, that it will cover, it will blanket the world just like the waters cover the seas. That's what I'm laboring for. I'm not laboring for my kingdom. That's worth nothing. I am laboring for Jesus's kingdom. And I invite you to do that with me. Laboring in love. Spiritual gifts. Empowered by the Spirit. That's what spiritual gifts are. Laboring. With tools of the Spirit in our hands. In our left and in our right. Laboring to build his kingdom with that heart of love. We need one another. My dad needed us. I needed my brothers. We're going to dig this trench. I need you. We need one another. Let's build the kingdom of God together in his strength, in his power. Right now, we're looking around and we're getting ready to, to vote if you haven't already. Can I just suggest to this that regardless of how this election turns out, it has nothing to do with the kingdom of God. Even if Roe v. Wade gets overturned, I would love to see that but it doesn't touch the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God is not by power nor by might, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. This is a spiritual kingdom. Righteousness exalts a nation. And I would love to see Roe v. Wade overturned. I would love to see those who are defenseless, unborn children defended. But even if they are, God's kingdom is so much more than that because we may have a righteous law in place, but it doesn't make us a righteous nation. God's heart is to win the hearts of America, to build his kingdom, not fighting one another, but building together. Can we close in prayer and just allow the spirit of God to give us that right perspective and what he needs us to do as we submit to the spiritual power of his spirit working through us to build his kingdom. Father, I just ask you that you would build through us. I ask you that you would speak through us. I ask you that you would love through us and that your glory would replace this disgrace. Your grace would come in and empower us to that end, Lord God. Deal with our hearts, Lord. That's what you're concerned about. You are so concerned about building your heart, your, your kingdom, changing our hearts. Use us, Father by the power of your spirit, working through us in your love to build. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.